Chapter Twenty Seven of the Duke of Chimney Butte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Duke of Chimney Butte by G. W. Ogden. Chapter Twenty Seven. Emoluments and Rewards. Lambert took off his hat at the door and smoothed his hair with his palm, tightened up his necktie, looked himself over from chest to toes. He drew a deep breath then, like a man fortifying himself for a trial that called for the best that was in him to come forward. He knocked on the door. He was wearing a brown duck coat with a sheepskin collar, the wool of which had been dyed a mottled saffron, and corduroy breeches as roomy of leg as Taterleg's state pair. These were laced within the tall boots which he had bought in Chicago, and in which he took a singular pride on account of their novelty on the range. It was not a very handsome outfit, but there was a rugged, picturesqueness in it that the pistol belt and chafe scabbard enhanced, and he carried it like a man who was not ashamed of it and graced it by the worth that it contained. The Duke's hair had grown long. Shears had not touched his head since his fight with Kerr's man. Jim Wilder's old scar was blue on his thin cheek that day, for the wind had been cold to face. He was so solemn and severe as he stood waiting at the door that it would seem to be a triumph to make him smile. Vesta came to the door herself with such promptness that seemed to tell she must have been near it from the moment his foot fell on the porch. I've come to settle up with you on our last deal, Vesta, he said. She took him to the room in which they always transacted business, which was a library, in fact, as well as name. It had been Philbrook's office in his day. Lambert once had expressed his admiration for the room a long and narrow chamber with antlers on the walls above the bookcases, a broad fireplace flanked by leaded casement windows. It was furnished with deep leather chairs and a great dark oak table, which looked as if it had stood in some English manner in the days of other kings. The windows looked out upon the river. Pleasant place on a winter night, Lambert thought, with a log fire on the dogs, somebody sitting near enough that one could reach out find her hand without turning his eyes from the book, the last warm touch to crown the comfort of his happy hour. "'You mean our latest deal? No, not our last, I hope, Duke,' she said, sitting at the table with him at the head of it like a baron, returned to his fireside after a foray in the field. "'I'm afraid it will be our last. There's nothing left to sell but the fence.' She glanced at him with relief in her eyes, a quick smile coming happily to her lips. He was busy with the account of calves and grown stock, which he had drawn from his wallet, the check laying by his hand, his face taken as an index to it. There was not much lightness in his heart. Soon he had acquitted himself of his stewardship and given the check into her hand. Then he rose to leave her. For a moment he stood silent, as if turning his thoughts. "'I'm going away,' he said, looking out the window down upon the tops of the naked cottonwoods along the river. Just around the corner of the table she was standing, half-facing him, looking at him with what seemed almost compassionate tenderness, so sympathetic were her eyes. She touched his hand where it lay with fingers on his hat-brim. "'Is it so hard for you to forget her, Duke?' He looked at her frankly, no deceit in his eyes, but a mild surprise to hear her chide him so. "'If I could forget of her what no forgiving soul could remember, I'd feel more like a man.' he said. I, th I thought, I thought, she stammered, bending her head, her voice soft and low, you were 
grieving for her, Duke. Forgive me. Tater Leg is leaving tonight, he said, overlooking her soft appeal. I thought I'd go at the same time. We'll be so lonesome here on the ranch without you, Duke, lonesome as it never was lonesome before. Even if there was anything I could do around the ranch any longer with the cattle all gone and nobody left to cut the fence, it wouldn't be of any use dodging in for every blizzard that came along as the doctor says I must. I've come to depend on you as I've never depended on anybody in my life. And I couldn't do that, you know, any more than I'd be content to lie around doing nothing. You've been square with me on everything from the biggest to the least. I never knew before what it was to lie down in security and get up in peace. You've fought and suffered for me here in a measure far in excess of anything that common loyalty demanded of you, and I've given you nothing in return. It will be like losing my right hand, Duke, to see you go. Taterlake's going to Wyoming to marry a girl he used to know back in Kansas. We can travel together part of the way. If it hadn't been for you... They'd have robbed me of everything by now, killed me, maybe, for I couldn't have fought them alone, and there was no other help. I thought maybe in California an old half-invalid might pick up and get some blood put into him again. You came out of the desert as if God sent you when my load was heavier than I could bear. It will be like losing my right eye, Duke, to see you go. Man that's a fool for only a little while even is bound to leave false impression and misunderstanding of himself, no matter how wide his own eyes have been opened or how long. So I've resigned my job on the ranch here with you, Vesta, and I'm going away. There's no misunderstanding, Duke. It's all clear to me now. When I look in your eyes and hear you speak, I know you better than you know yourself. It will be like losing the whole world to have you go. Man couldn't sit around and eat out of a woman's hand in idleness and ever respect himself any more. My work's finished. All I've got is yours. You saved it to me. You brought it home. World expects a man that hasn't got anything to go out and make it before he turns around and looks, before he lets his tongue betray his heart and maybe be misunderstood by those he holds most dear. None of the world's business. There isn't any world but ours. I thought with you gone away, Vesta, in the house, dark nights, and me not hearing you around any more, it would be so lonesome and bleak here for an old half-invalid. I wasn't going. I couldn't have been driven away. I'd have stayed as long as you stayed till you found, till you knew. Oh, it will tear, tear my heart, my heart out of my breast to see you go. Taterleg was singing his old-time steamboat song when Lambert went down to the bunkhouse an hour before sunset. There was an aroma of coffee mingling with the strain. But my money on a bobtail horse and a hoo-dah, and a hoo-dah. I bet my money on a bobtail horse and a hoo-dah bet on the bay. Lambert smiled, standing beside the door until Taterleg had finished. Taterleg came out with his few possessions in a bran sack giving Lambert a questioning look up and down. "'Took you a long time to settle up,' he said. "'Yes, there was considerable to dispose of and settle,' Lambert replied. "'Well, we'll have to be hitting the breeze for the depot in a little while. Are you ready?' "'No. Changed my mind. I'm going to stay.' "'Going in partners with Vesta?' 
partners. End of chapter 27 Recording by Mike Vendetti MikeVendetti.com, Canyon City, Colorado End of the Duke of Chimney Butte by G. W. Ogden